0: Uh, So it's really, really wonderful to see you. And isn't it really special to be able to share communion together as well this morning? Well, we're uh, spending some time as a church at the moment thinking about what it means to live as a community of those who follow Jesus, especially as we begin to move out of um, a period of pandemic, a period of lockdown. What does it mean to be church? What does the Bible say are the characteristics of a group of people like us who call ourselves Christians? Well, in order to help us answer that question, we're looking at some of the many one another verses that there are in the Bible that speak about how we should be as church. So we've looked already, haven't we, at the call uh, to love one another, Jesus' command in John 13. We looked at Paul's call to greet one another last week in 1 Corinthians. Well, today we're going to be looking at what it means to encourage one another. Well, we see encouragement, don't we, at Wimbledon at the moment. Each day, the fans as they're cheering on their favourite player. And of course, we heard, I don't know, in Burton, I certainly heard it, um, the football fans shouting last night encouragement at their team. And wow, we won. <laughs> It's definitely a form of encouragement, isn't it? It's effective and it's necessary. I think the players who uh, didn't have any fans in their stadium when they played during the pandemic definitely noticed it. And people, uh, the team or the person really raises their game when they're cheered on, when they're encouraged by their fans. But there's also another type of encouragement, isn't there? The encouragement that comes from the players or from the coach or from the manager, a different type of encouragement, I probably uh, would say, altogether. Well, the, different, um, the dictionary definition of encouragement is to give support, confidence, or hope to someone. So I wonder what comes to your mind when you think about the word encouragement or encourage one another. What do you think of? Do you think of that kind person who noticed that you lost weight and has said how good you look? Or do you think about that generous person who remembered that you were going into hospital and bought you um, some chocolates? Or do you think of that thoughtful person who sent you a message saying how much they appreciated something that you'd shared or something that you'd done? Or do you think back perhaps to that teacher at school who'd given you such encouragement to go on and pursue your dream, inspired you perhaps to study literature or maths or something? Of course, encouragement makes us feel loved, doesn't it? It makes us feel valued. It's such an important part of life. And we find such a person in Acts. I'm sure you're thinking of him already. His real name was Joseph. He was a Levite. He was a convert to the Christian faith. And he was given the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, because he was really generous, for starters, at supporting the work of the apostles financially. But he also believed in Saul, didn't he? When Saul became a Christian and nobody else was, they were all a bit suspicious of this uh, convert, but he believed in him and he encouraged him. Barnabas was named for his spiritual gift because it reflected his character. And Romans 12 tells us that encouragement is a spiritual gift. It says, if a person's gift is encouraging, then let them encourage Of course, um, here, encouragement means coming alongside to help someone. If your gift is encouragement, then encourage people. I was thinking about the picture of that triathlon runner in Mexico in 2016. I don't know if you remember him. He saw his brother, Johnny, was struggling to finish the race. And he gave up his own chance to win that race in order to encourage or come alongside his brother to get his brother over the winning line. Do you remember that story? It was amazing. He did more than shout encouragement from the sidelines. He got alongside his brother and got him to the finish line. So you could call this gift alongside encouragement a gift of exhortation, a gift of comfort, maybe of consolation or encouragement. It's that divine ability that some people have to lift the load from a brother or sister and help them along their way. I wonder this morning, do you have that gift of encouragement? Are you one of those people that is able to come alongside others and to help carry their load? It's a very special gift, isn't it? Every church family needs those people who have the gift of encouragement. And we've all benefited, I'm sure, from somebody who's come alongside and given us support, lifted us up when we've been struggling, who's shown us that gift of encouragement. So I want to say thank you this morning to you people in our family who have that special gift of encouragement. It's treasured and it's appreciated and we're glad that you use it. And of course, I'm going to say, but, but (laughs) the Bible teaches that although some have a specific spiritual gift of encouragement, we all have a responsibility to encourage one another. Uh, The Bible says this in several places. One of them is Hebrews chapter three, and that's our chapter that we're going to look at this morning, where we are all encouraged to encourage one another. Now just a bit of background, Um, Hebrews is written for Jewish listeners, Jewish readers and the writers at pains to say make clear that Jesus is God's own son. That he's far superior to the angels, he's far superior even to Moses who the Jews held in such high regard. Even though Moses was that faithful person who showed his faithfulness to God by leading the the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, Jesus is even greater than Moses because he's broken the power of death as we've just been celebrating in communion. He's able to save people from their sin and bring them into a relationship with God. So we're going to pick up um, the reading. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to uh, turn to Hebrews. um, If you can keep um, the pages from turning over in the wind, we're going to look at Hebrews uh, chapter 3 and I'm going to begin reading at verse 7. Hebrews chapter 3. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That's why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared in oath on my anger, they shall never enter my rest. So the writer to the Hebrews says this, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We've come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold on to our, our original conviction firmly to the end. As he has just said... Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief probably not the passage you expected to hear to talk about encouragement, but we are encouraged there to encourage one another. The writer here at the beginning of that passage is quoting Psalm 95 uh, in verses 7 to 11 there, where the psalmist speaks of the hard hearts of the people of God. Their hearts were hardened by unbelief, by doubt. God had spoken through Moses, and Moses had led them through the wilderness to the promised land. He'd shown them time and time again of what a faithful God he was, of how he'd rescued them, how he'd cared for them, how he'd protected them. And yet they still doubted God, even though he'd done so much for them. And then we read that they failed to enter God's rest because of that disobedience, because of that doubt that they had. You probably recognise the story. It's the story that we find in Numbers 13 and 14. God instructs Moses to send out spies to explore the land of Canaan. And 12 spies go out and explore the land. Ten of them come back saying, Oh my goodness, they're so dangerous, those people. It's so scary. We wouldn't even dare go out and attack them. But there were those two spies who came back, Joshua and Caleb, They were obedient. They saw beyond what was fearful out there. They believed that God was greater than everything that they faced. And they trusted God. They trusted God that he would give them the land. But the rest, they failed to trust God. They moaned at Moses and they doubted God. And what's so sad is that they miss out on God's blessing as a result. They miss out on God's goodness And they miss out on the rest that God has promised for them, the the privilege that they have to live at peace with God. Well, the writer to the the Hebrews is anxious that these Christians that he's writing to don't make that mistake too, that they don't live, um, that they live in the reality, if you like, of the now and the not yet of their faith as they wait for the promise of heaven. I wonder what it was that tripped those Israelites up that we read about. What made them miss out on all that God had for them? Well, fear is an obvious one, isn't it? They were so full of fear. But I started to think, well, what what is it that is behind fear? Well, it's quite simply a lack of trust in God. They didn't trust God was who he said he was. They didn't trust that God could do what he promised he could do. They didn't see beyond their circumstances at what God had the, that God had the ability to manage um, beyond what they saw. And Hebrews say these sad and difficult words. It's their unbelieving hearts. It's their hardened hearts. It's their disobedience. It's their ability to see the deceitfulness of sin that has tripped them up. Quite harsh words, aren't they? But these are dangers. These are the dangers of faith, that we can get tripped up by these things. And we need to encourage one another in order to avoid the same mistake that those Israelites made. These Christians that the Hebrew writer is writing to had given up so much to follow Jesus. They were very aware of what they'd given up. They'd lost incomes, they'd lost their homes, they'd lost their reputation and their privileged They were shunned by society and gradually they were losing their hope in the promise that God had given them of eternal life. They were being sucked, if you like, back into that temporary offer that the world could give. They were longing to have that acceptance again that they once had. They longed for that approval that the world once gave them and they started to lose sight of what God was offering. As I thought about this, I wonder what trips us up in our faith. it that trips us up? Do we trust God even when things don't make sense or when things around us are starting to go wrong or are difficult? Do we divert, divert, if you like, our commitment to God and start to put our trust in other things? You see, just like the Hebrews, we have a warning here. We have a warning from the Israelites' experience that it is possible for us to lose our momentum. It's possible for us as Christians to lose our focus, to stray from our first love, to become fearful instead of faithful, that we can start to doubt God rather than trust him. Even though we know Jesus to be our Lord and our Saviour, even though we're part of his family, even though we know that we have this promise of a future hope with God forever, Hebrew writer is saying it's still possible. We're still vulnerable to fail, to slip, to forget, to doubt. And that's uh, the purpose of the Hebrew writer quoting this psalm, Psalm 95, because it tells of the downfall of God's people. But he's not using it to, um, to tell us off. He's using it to encourage us. Let me read the verses in, um, from 12 to 14 again. He says see to it brothers and sisters that none of you has a sinful unbelieving heart that turns away from the living god but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sins deceitfulness we have come to share in christ he says if indeed we hold on to the original conviction firmly until the very end holding on until the end Remember, this is a warning that would be given here. It's not a threat that we're going to miss out. It's a warning. First one um, at the beginning of this passage. And again, in verse 12, it's obvious it's a warning because it's written to brothers and sisters. It's written to those who are, have faith. At the beginning of um, Hebrews 3, he says to those who share in the heavenly calling. But he says we need each one of us to take care. Now, we don't have the time um, and it's not the place to debate whether someone can lose their salvation or not. And I'm not sure that's what this passage is actually about. I don't think that's the issue that is being said here. I think it's challenging us to hold fast to our faith. It's saying, brothers and sisters, as a church of of God, as a family together, I, I would say that we should be committed or perhaps even, dare I say, responsible for one another's spiritual growth. And we're, we're told here to make it a daily habit, to foster a daily habit of encouraging one another in our faith every single day. So the question is, I guess, how do we make that happen in 21st century uh, life? We're in a society, aren't we, that's all about individualism, all about number one privacy doing things for ourselves privacy is king our personal lives are very much now our private lives so what do we do when we become aware that our brother or sister in Christ is losing sight of their original conviction if they're losing sight of their first love or their eternal hope what do we do if we see our brother or sister compromising the way they're living by doing something or saying something that sparks a concern in us how do we take seriously this call I believe we have here to help each other not to have hardened hearts towards God? Is it even possible to do that? Well, it has to be, doesn't it? Because I think that what the writer here is saying is that there's too much at stake for us as the family of God not to embrace this challenge that he gives us, to care so deeply for one another that we're not willing to let anyone slip or fall. We've looked already um, at Jesus' call to love one another, haven't we? Well, that's one way that we can do this. If we understand how much we're loved, what Jesus has done for us on the cross, the love that was shown when he took our sin on himself and died in our place, if we understand that, then we we follow a God of love then we'll take on that family likeness to keep loving. We'll be people who love one another. Paul says in in Corinthians, a a really simple four-letter sentence, do everything in love. That's one way that we can encourage one another, in love. Remember the purpose, the purpose that we have. In build, is to build one another up, to not find fault in one another, but to spur one another on in our faith. One Thessalonians 5:11 says, "Encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing." A challenge to encourage one another, to build us up in our faith. I wonder sometimes uh, whether there might be times when we need to correct or rebuke or remind someone of who they are in Christ. We must remember this verse, it's always to build one another up. Paul speaks again in in two Thessalonians, he says, Warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Patience, love, he talks about. We're called as we encourage one another in our faith to display the fruits of the Spirit. And in Galatians, Paul talks about the fruit of gentleness. He says, brothers and sisters, if you see someone caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should, um, should restore that person gently. People of love, the family of God, we love gently. We're, we are gentle with those who are struggling. We're not judging, Jesus says, don't be, don't be judges, be gentle. Restore people gently. That means there's no room for gossip, there's no room for criticism, there's no room for fault-finding or one-upmanship in the family. We have been loved, and so we seek to encourage in love, gently. And just one more verse, Hebrews chapter um, chapter 10 says this, "'Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful.'" And let's consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. I've got about two more minutes. Don't worry, I'm nearly done. So let's find ways of encouraging others, each other towards love and good deeds. How can we serve one another better? How can we greet one another genuinely? How can we love one another deeply? How can we serve one another and build one another up? Brothers and sisters, we read that many of the Israelites missed out on God's blessing because of their doubt and unbelief. Hebrews uses this story to warn us. A reminder to us today as we gather together physically and those who are joining us online that we need each other. We need each other to encourage each other in our walk with God. We need to take an active concern in seeing each other grow and in nurturing our faith to remind each other of the hope that we have that's worth holding on to even when life is difficult, even when it's raining and tempting us away from God. I just wonder as I finish, who can you encourage in their faith today? Who could you speak to and give a word of encouragement to hold on to their faith, to hold on to God's goodness and to be aware of what might be happening to draw them away. I think the path of community that we're looking at together is much more than fans that cheer on from the sidelines. My encouragement to us is to be brothers and sisters like Alistair and Johnny. Alistair was willing to come alongside his brother and help his brother Johnny to the finish line. May we be brothers and sisters who encourage one another. I have no idea. Are we going to wrap it up? Okay, let me just pray, and then we'll rush for our cars and shelter. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to meet together this morning. Thank you, Father, for this challenge. May we be those who encourage one another this week, we pray. Bless as we, as we go our separate ways, and thank you, Lord, for family. Thank you for each other. In Jesus' precious name, amen. amen. And then bless you go.